Good morning, Lake City. Good to see the little bouncing. You guys are getting into that uh, music a little bit. Love that. And so, uh, so we're returning this morning to our sermon series called Better Together. And we've been exploring the various exhortations that were given in the New Testament about caring for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are some 40 commands, one another's, given to us in the New Testament epistles. And that's what we've been sort of highlighting over these last almost two months. And I want to introduce today's one another with a little quiz, a little uh, 12, about 10-second uh, audio clip, and then I'm going to read some words of a song, and I want you to come up with the name of that song. Uh, if you're really uh, sharp and you've got gray hair like me, you might even be able to come up with the uh, group and the year. All right, so listen to this. Let's go. With many a winding turn, I'm not going there, that leads us to who knows where, but I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Good job. And today we're looking at a very interesting one another. It's carrying one another's burdens, dealing with burdens in the lives of our fellow believers. Honestly, it's one of the most challenging tasks that God has given to us as Christians. In some ways, I think it's much easier to do uh, to implement the other one another's than this one. This is one of the more difficult ones for sure. But Paul leaves no question about it. We have a responsibility to carry one another's burdens. If we want to be in the will of God, we will be committed to this. And to help us accomplish that goal, Paul gives us some specific guidelines of how to do that. These guidelines are absolutely essential if there's going to be positive results in our relationships with each other. So we're going to begin in Galatians 6. If you have a Bible, please open up to Galatians 6.1. It'll be on the screen behind me as well, and I'm just going to read it for you. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And the key concept that we're going to explore today is this bear one another's burdens and so and thus fulfill the law of Christ. That's how the ESV translates this verse, but other translations use terminology such as carry one another's burdens, and the book that we're reading together and using in our small groups by Dr. Gene Getz titles this chapter, Carry One Another's Burdens, so I went with that for my title of my message today. And I want to begin by exploring the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to carry someone's burdens? If you have your sermon notes, you can pull those out or open them up on your app. If you want sermon notes, they're out on the little round black tables right out there in the gathering area. Feel free to grab one. What does it mean to carry someone's burdens? Let's begin with the definition, all right? The word burden, the specific word that Paul chose here, refers to a very heavy load that is too much for someone to bear by themselves. And so, the idea involved here is that we are to come alongside someone and help them bury the weight of their load. 
And we'll come back to that idea in a few minutes. Next, I want to look at a couple of other translations because I think that helps us kind of wrap our heads around it as well. The SV says, bear one another's burdens. The uh, Living Bible says, share each other's troubles and problems. The Amplified, carry one another's burdens. So that's kind of a range of ideas involved in that word. All right. And since our key passage today is Galatians 6, 1 to 3, it's essential for us to understand what Paul is saying here in Galatians 6. So I want to take a few minutes just to set the context with you. Now, the book of Galatians was written to legalists about the problem of legalism for the most part. It's about people who were misusing and misapplying the Old Testament law. And they were sort of using God's word, the Old Testament scriptures, to beat up people with it. And Paul was writing to a group of churches in an area of Asia Minor called Galatia. It's modern-day Turkey. There's a group of churches Paul wrote this letter to. And they were sort of being clubbed to death with the Old Testament law. Here's how Paul, for example, describes it in Galatians 5, verses 14 and 15. Let's read that. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Because you can take the word of God, you can take a Bible, even if there is truth in what you're sharing with someone, and you can sort of ruin them, you can sort of beat them up with it if you want to do so. You say, how's that possible if you're sharing God's truth? Well, it has everything to do with the motive in which you give it. And the legalists were using the Old Testament law with bad motives and in order to put people into bondage rather than to set them free. They weren't motivated out of love. They were motivated by pride, and that led to some very fleshly deeds and attitudes. It produced harshness and disunity in their relationships, and it caused them to sort of bite and devour one another. And that's why what Paul meant when he said this in verse 15. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Another question I want to ask is who? Who is Paul talking about here? Again, verse 1 says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And a transgression is what he's talking about here. If anyone is stuck in a sin, because a transgression is a sin, another word for sin. So he's talking about people who were caught in a sin and they couldn't get released from it. For example, let's say that someone has developed an addiction, maybe to drugs, maybe to alcohol, and they have an addiction that is really just sort of holding them hostage. They desire to get free, maybe they've even done some things to try to get uncaught, but they just can't break loose. If you're a fisherman or you're a fisherwoman, uh, you probably enjoy going out and fishing, and uh, you can probably picture this scene very well. Let's say you're fishing and you're using a, a, a worm and so you put a nice big juicy worm on, on a hook and you cast it out there into the water and the fish takes a bite of that and the hook catches it in the mouth and it's stuck. And that fish starts thrashing around, thrashing about trying to get unhooked from the hook. 
And so that fish is stuck on the hook and it's, it's wiggling and thrashing in the water to get free. And just perhaps there are some folks in here today or maybe watching online today and you're wiggling trying to get free from something. Trying to get free from a sin that has you hostage. Maybe you came to church today and, or maybe you turned on your computer to watch today and you're trying to get free from something in your life that has you caught. It might be something physical, like alcohol or drugs. It might be a, a mental issue or an emotional issue or a relational issue, but it's holding you hostage. Or maybe it's something else altogether, but it's got you caught and it's just, you can't get away. Like a fish caught on a hook. You can't get free because there's a barb on that hook and it doesn't just slip out easily. You need somebody else to help you get free. And there might be somebody here this morning or watching today online. Maybe you've even been asking God to set you free for a very long time. That's the scenario that Paul's describing here in Galatians 6. Listen now. Please don't miss this. Paul says that if you want to get restored, if you want to be set free from something, that you often have to have somebody assist you. Watch this. Paul says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. Okay, that's important, that phrase. You who are spiritual should restore him. Because sometimes people don't get delivered because they're not talking to the right folk or they're not going to the right place for help. If you are caught in a spiritual dilemma, you can only get uncaught if you get someone who is spiritual involved in your deliverance. You have to find the right kind of person, in other words, to help you. When we're in a situation like that, when we're caught, when we're... Uh, dealing with a stronghold or a sin in our lives, it's so much easier to go to a friend, somebody we're comfortable with, somebody that we know and have a relationship with. But Paul says there are times, there are issues in life that require us to find someone spiritual to help assist us. And by the way, the who that is <coughs> mentioned here in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul has just described in chapter 5. He's talking about a spiritual person, a person who is filled with the Spirit of God. He has the fruit of the Spirit in his life, not the deeds of the flesh characterizing his life. In other words, the Word of God is alive in their lives, and they walk and they talk, and they live out God's truth a lot like Jesus did. Because you can't just unhook yourself. You need to find a spiritual person. It might be a, a godly friend of yours, or it might be an elder or a pastor. Maybe it's a small group leader or a Bible study leader or just somebody who is spiritual. But listen, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You don't necessarily need to find a pastor or a full-time Christian worker for this, what he's talking about. Because God wants all Christians to be filled with his spirit and to grow to maturity and to be able to have this kind of helping ministry in one another's lives. This is the goal for all believers. Okay, So listen, beloved. You need someone with experience using God's word to help get you when unstuck when you're stuck. 
Because the power to get free is right here. It's in God's word. And anyone who is spiritual can use God's word to bring healing. So one of the reasons you ought to come to church is to get connected with others who will be able to help restore you when you get caught in a sin. It's one of the applications I'd take from this passage. You know, when you go to a doctor, let's say you're hurting and you decide, I'm going to go see a doctor. I'm, I'm hurting that bad. Or I'm going to go into the emergency room and, and get help. You don't want a doctor who, who says to you, well, I'm not exactly sure what's wrong, but why don't we cut over here and see if that helps a little bit? That's, that's not the kind of help you need, right? That's not what you're looking for when you're in pain. The reason a lot of people aren't delivered, spiritually speaking, is because they're taking bad medicine from quack doctors. Listen, beloved, if you're in the habit of watching Christian television and listening to preachers and teachers on television, I just have to warn you that there are an awful lot of quacks on Christian television. And you have to be very careful who you choose to listen to. Because if you listen to the wrong person, it is likely going to confuse you and you're going to be more discouraged than you ever were in the first place. So let me define spiritual. Spiritual means you're able to give God's assessment of a problem. You can use the word of God to identify the sin and to help a person get unstuck from that sin. Listen, the only solution to a spiritual problem is a spiritual solution. And the only place that you will find that is in the word of God. And again, the reason, one reason... You should come to church just so that you can get connected with people who are spiritual. And this church is full of people who are spiritual, just like that. But you should also come to church so that you can become spiritual and be prepared to help somebody else. I have to add a little story at this point. So and the point of my story is that you don't need a college degree or a seminary degree to be a spiritual person. See, a degree hanging on somebody's wall in their office has nothing whatsoever to do with being spiritual. When our oldest daughter went off to, to uh, college, we're talking a little over 20 years ago now, uh, she went to a Christian college down in Oregon. Somewhere through that first year, I got a phone call from her, and she said, Dad, I'm, 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 uh, I'm frustrated, I'm confused. I'm in this theology class, this class about the Bible, and our professor is saying things that are confusing and he's, ma he's kind of undermining our trust in the Bible and uh, it just seems to me like he's saying some things that just don't fit with what I've been taught about God's Word. And so we talked about that and what she should believe about God's Word and I said, listen, I'll, I'll connect with your teacher and, and uh, ask him some questions. And so I went online and I found his email and I shot him an email and asked him some very pointed questions and of course he assured me I absolutely do believe in that the word of God is trustworthy and it's inspired. But I still had some doubts. And so I got on the phone and I called a friend of mine whose wife worked at the same university. And this guy was a pastor in the Portland area. And he said, you know, your, your daughter's absolutely right. That professor does not really believe in the inspiration of God's word that is trustworthy and true. And uh, tell her to <laughs> keep up the good work, in other words. So it's not where you went to school. And this guy had a doctorate of theology hanging on the wall of his office. Okay? It's not where you went to school or what degrees you 
have on your wall. A person is spiritual if they believe God's truth, if they understand the word of God and know how to use it accurately. And so Paul's talking, Paul is talking about people who have some sins that have them trapped and they need to get someone to help free them, to be delivered spiritually. And again, we don't come to church to find a sermon and a song, but to make connections as well with people who are spiritual because at some point, every single one of us is going to need someone to come alongside of us to help us and to help carry the load in our lives. And that's one of the big reasons that we should also come to church. Here's another question I want to answer, and it's the question, what? When a person is caught in a sin, what is really needed? Paul said, you who are spiritual should restore them, restore him. And the Greek word to restore actually means to mend something or to repair something that has gotten broken. That particular word was used of a fisherman when his net tore and got a hole in it. He would take some, some string or some uh, rope and he would pull it back together and he would um, stitch it up and he would, would mend it so that it was repaired. That's the idea of restoring. The ancient Greeks also used the very same word of a doctor who would set a bone. He would put the bone in its proper location so it could be knit or mended back together. That's the concept of restoration. And Paul's talking here about what we're to do for one another. Notice the word brethren at the beginning of verse 1. We're to do this for other fellow Christians who need mending when something gets broken or torn in their lives. Just in the same way that you'd go to a doctor to set a bone or to help you with something that's hurting, one of the reasons, one of the things we should find at church is spiritual restoration. Mending. And by the way, I just want to say if you want to truly be restored, find God's healing in your life, you need to call it what God calls it. And God calls it sin. He's talking here about a, a sin. Don't just call an issue in your life a mistake or call it a bad habit or something else that sort of whitewashes it a little bit. All right, The Bible calls it a sin, a transgression. And if you want to be delivered from sin in your life, you need to first of all recognize it as sin so that you can get the right medicine to take care of it. Then notice how Paul says we're to do this. Number four is how. The how we are to help restore someone who's caught in a sin or overcome by a burden is what I want to look at with you next. And Paul zeroes in here on two attitudes. Two attitudes that are required when we go to bear another's burdens. And the first one is here at the end of verse 1. Paul says you, are, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's the attitude required to come alongside somebody and support them. Right? Gentleness has to do with kindness and showing care. It doesn't mean compromising the truth. But it means that you're giving the truth in love. It means you demonstrate that you care about the person. You're not just trying to correct them. See, when you're carrying another's burdens, that kind of a situation requires encouragement and support, not harshness or rejection. 
Gentleness understands that a sinner must be dealt with because the situation they're in can be a very fragile one. And so Paul says when you're restoring someone, you need to do it with, in other words, the, the least amount of pain as possible. I've noticed that some Christians just sort of love confrontation. They, they seem to love sort of yanking the hook out of a person's mouth. In other words, Paul says, no, no, no. Do it in a spirit of gentleness. You try to avoid the pain, not ignore the pain. Do it gently. It's okay to wiggle the hook a little bit gently in order to get it out, but it still might hurt a little bit, but you try to minimize the pain. And then the second attitude Paul highlights, that Paul says is required when we have the opportunity to bear another's burdens is keep watch on yourself lest you too. And what he's talking about there is a spirit of humility. In other words, when we go to support and restore someone, we have to guard against the temptation of pride. We need to realize that, but by the grace of God, there go I as well. Okay? If things were different, it could be me caught in that very same trap. In fact, probably next time, perhaps next time, it will be me. So gentleness and humility, they're born out of a sense of our own weakness and our own proneness to sin. Again, remember who Paul wrote this to, the Galatians, who were dealing with problems of legalism. And Paul warns them about the danger of using God's word with the wrong motives, with wrong attitudes. When people start using the Bible to sort of beat up other people rather than help them be set free. Biting, sniping, that kind of thing. That's not spirituality. That's the deeds of the flesh. Spirituality, Paul says, involves a spirit of gentleness and humility because you want to cause the least amount of pain as possible. Paul says in that kind of a context, restoration can occur if you get someone who is spiritual and they have a spirit of gentleness and humility, that's when you can see some really good things happen. All right, verse 2. Now Paul's going to go just a little bit further as he includes another aspect of this. And here Paul's going to explain the why. Why is this important? Listen to verse 2 because this is what Paul says there. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to come back to the why in just a minute, but first I want you to notice that in verse 1, which we just covered, Paul's dealing with a brother who is caught in a transgression, in other words, a sin. But now in verse 2, he's going to move to what he calls a burden, bear one another's burdens. Watch this. A burden is not necessarily a sin. A burden is something that is weighing you down and you can't lift it up by yourself. It's the picture of someone who's, who has such a weight on their lives and he's trying to lift it, but it's too heavy for him to handle it alone. And he needs a spotter, as it were, to come alongside and to keep him steady and ultimately to help him get it back on the rack. Now, there might be some of you today who are caught in a transgression. But there are probably even more of you who are under a burden. And a burden can be a sin, but it's not necessarily a sin. 
Perhaps life has just gotten to be a little too much for you to handle it alone. Not necessarily, though, because you did something wrong. It's just gotten more than you can bear by yourself. Maybe it's the pressure of your job that's, that's weighing you down. Maybe it's the burden of your children that, that's just too heavy for you right now. Maybe it's a marriage that is really weighty or your friendships or something, whatever it is. If you see a brother or sister and life has just gotten too heavy for them, friend, don't just smile and say, hang in there, I'm praying for you. It's important to pray for them, but don't just give them a platitude. For Pete's sake, don't let the weight drop on them and strangle them. If you see somebody weighed down by life, weighed down by circumstances, even weighed down by sin, do what Paul says. Paul says someone who is spiritual needs to step up to help them bear the weight and to get it off of their neck. No one should have to bear the weight of life all alone, in other words. God never intended his family to be like that, to live like that. He gave us the gift of brothers and sisters to help us deal with the burdens of life. And when we do that for each other, Paul says, we fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? I think what he's talking about is the words of Jesus. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The great commandment, love one another. And listen, this is no small thing. This was a very big deal to our Lord. This is what Jesus was talking to his disciples about the very night before his arrest and crucifixion. Now watch where Paul goes with this in verse 3. Let me read verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. <clears throat> All right, let me paraphrase that verse for you in very simple language. What Paul is saying is this. Listen, you ain't all that. All right? That's a loose translation of Paul's words here. Listen, friend, you ain't all that. If you think that you're something and that you have it all together, watch out because you ain't all that. In other words, don't think you're too good to serve somebody else. Don't think you're too good to bear the burdens of a brother or a sister. Because even though you might look good when you show up at church and when you talk about what Jesus is doing in your life, there's a day coming when God's going to reveal everything. And we're going to all find out that we aren't all that. Amen? That's why nobody here is too big to serve and to love each other. Too big, too important to carry another's burdens. And that applies to me. And that applies to you. It applies to us all as followers of Christ. Because on our best day, on our very best day, we are just sinners saved by grace. That's all we are, sinners saved by grace. All right, now that we've discovered that we aren't all that, that's what Paul's talking about here, let, let's talk about some of the kinds of burdens I think the Lord wants us to help carry for each other. I'm going to kind of slide over into application, begin that now. What other burdens should we help others carry? The church is not just about sermons and songs, in other words. It's about living out the one another's. And to live out the one another's, including carrying one another's burdens, we have to be doing life together. 
We have to be rubbing shoulders with each other, growing in relationships. Of course, we all want great sermons and great songs, but we need to focus also on learning how to live out these one another's that we've been studying for the last number of weeks. Because that's when the Spirit of God is really free to do great things in our lives. Because God designed his church to be a spiritual family, not just a weekly gathering at the water hole. So here's four things I want to encourage you to consider helping carry for one another. Number one is health problems. And not just physical health either, mental health, emotional health, and so on. And by the way, you've heard it said, perhaps, mental health issues have really skyrocketed in this past year. Our speaker just last week highlighted the fact that depression and suicide in the military are just off the charts right now, but not just there. I think it's across the board. And then last Saturday at our, at our men's breakfast, I was privileged to be a part of a group of guys at the end who, who came around one of our brothers whose wife is reeling from a really serious cancer diagnosis, and we prayed together for him, and we prayed for her, and uh, it was re- one of the things I enjoyed about that was just hearing a little bit about, about some of the different ways that various guys, various couples are supporting them with phone calls and meals and cards and just reaching out to them. And friends, that's just one example of many ways I get to see sort of frontline examples of how you reach out and love and care for others dealing with health burdens. Keep up the good work. It is so important. Keep that up. Here's another one. Secondly, financial burdens. Another kind of burden that many people are dealing with today is financial burdens. It might be needing a job. It might be needing a job that earns more. Maybe it's a because of a divorce, or maybe it's a, a single parent. Whatever the reason, one of the things I've noticed on our prayer list each week is that there's a lot of prayer requests about jobs and finances. And by the way, I just have to say this. Don't forget that we have a benevolent fund. Here at Lake City, we have a benevolent fund that is dedicated to helping you if you have financial burdens. We would love to help you if that's your need. But you have to take the first step of reaching out and letting us know that you need help. Please don't hesitate to get more information. Email or call the church office, for example, or write it on your communication card. Let us know how we can help you. Here's number three. We also need to help carry racial burdens or racism burdens. Another area of application about this principle or of this principle of bearing one another's burdens is in the area of racism and prejudice and injustice. So that was a big issue in the first century church, actually. Jewish and Gentile relationships were very bad. And, of course, that spilled over into the church, and the New Testament has a lot to say about that. But there is still a lot of racism in our culture today. Certainly that has bubbled to the surface in the last year in particular. And what I'm saying is as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the greatest ways we can bear one another's burdens is to simply come alongside people who've experienced racism and prejudice and let them know that we care and ask what we can do to encourage. Paul wrote in in Romans 12, 15, Paul wrote this. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And there were a lot of people 
who ha are still weeping about this very issue. I, by the way, I, I confess that I wasn't personally aware of how big a deal that racism and prejudice was until this, this past year. At this cultural moment has sort of brought this front and center. And we've been having some interesting conversations in our own family, and I've learned about some things that my own daughters have had to endure, to my surprise. Our own congregational members as well. Listen, beloved, this is what I'm saying. God commands us to bear one another's burdens. Even if we don't see prejudice as an issue in our own hearts, we still have a responsibility to walk alongside our brothers and sisters who have been dealing with this. So we've been talking about this particular matter as a leadership team this past year. Recently, we posted a brand new teaching position paper on our website, and it's called Race, Racism, and Racial Injustice. And you can find it on our church website. Our website is lc3.com. You uh, go to the tab called About Us, and then you click on the, the one under that called The Gospel and Race. And we encourage you to, to check that out. But also understand this. I'm not just suggesting you go read a paper about it. That's there if you're curious what we teach as a church about this important matter. But on a very more personal level, I want to encourage you to search your own heart, continue to dialogue with brothers and sisters of color, and be intentional to come alongside to understand and encourage them. Number four, we should help carry other personal burdens. And there are many other burdens our brothers and sisters carry. A great philosopher once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. The philosopher was Mike Tyson, and he said that on the eve of one of his big fights. So he's getting ready to go into the ring the next day, and a reporter puts a microphone in his face. He's interviewing him, and he's saying, well, what are you going to do about your opponent? I mean, he's big, and he's fast, and he's strong, and he can go to the right well, and he can go to the left just as well. I mean, what are you going to do about that? And what Mike Tyson said was, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Everybody thinks they're a little bit stronger than they are until adversity hits them. And then they find out that they're not quite as strong as they thought they were. Listen, beloved, every single one of us has burdens. And you might even say we all got punched in the face this past year by a virus. And it has caused many and various burdens that we have been dealing with for months, such as loneliness and fear and health issues and financial issues and educational challenges with our kids and kids missing out on being at school with friends and in sports, just to name a few. Listen, we need one another right now more than ever to help carry those burdens. We can't do it alone. It's exposed our need to be together and to be in relationship with one another, unlike anything else that I can ever remember. In 1918, so a little over 100 years ago, a boy named Howard Loomis was abandoned at Father Flanagan's Home for Boys in Nebraska. The home had just opened up about a year before that, and Howard was dropped off at the home that Father Flanagan was running there. And Howard had polio. 
And he wore these big, heavy leg braces, and he wasn't very strong, and walking was difficult for him, especially going upstairs and going downstairs. And soon, several of the older boys were carrying Howard up and down the stairways. One day, Father Flanagan asked one of those older boys if carrying Howard was hard for him. The boy's name was Reuben, and he simply replied, He ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. The story doesn't end there, though. A few years later, 1943, Father Flanagan was paging through a copy of Ideal magazine. And he saw an image of an older boy carrying a younger boy on his back. And it looked very much like what he remembered about the older boys carrying Howard around the house. And so he wrote the magazine and he asked, asked permission to use that picture and that quote. Under the picture in the magazine was the words, He ain't heavy, mister, he's my brother. And the magazine agreed, and Boys Town, which is what it's called now, Boys Town adopted that symbol as their brand and that wording as their logo. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. That's what God is calling us to in his family. Let me give you three very short next steps of application. Number one. Reflecting on your life today, who has helped carry your burdens? I want to encourage you to reflect back in your life, and maybe especially about this past year, about the people who've come alongside you to encourage you and to support you and to help carry burdens. Sometimes that's not an easy thing for people to do. I want to encourage you to be grateful for that. And even more, I want to encourage you to let them know, to thank them and let them know that you're grateful for that. You can do that personally. You can send them a note or an email. Who's helped carry your burdens? Next step two, what burdens would you like someone to help you with right now? At some time in life, every single one of us will need support from somebody else, somebody coming alongside to help carry our burdens. And when that happens, it's helpful for us to let them know exactly what we need, how they can help us. Sometimes it's just, I need a listening ear to help me sort of process what I'm going through right now. Sometimes it's a friend to check in with us on a regular basis and to uh, see how we're doing and to ask how to pray for us. Sometimes it's very tangible, something much more uh, specific than that, that, that they can do for us. Listen, please don't hesitate to share with others when it's appropriate how Specifically, they can actually help you. And then finally, who is the Spirit of God putting on your heart to help? So as we've seen today, God calls us to serve one another in love, to help carry one another's burdens. My guess is that the Spirit of God has been bringing people or faces or names to your mind over the last half hour or so who need some encouragement and support. Please take a moment to jot down that name or that initial and make a decision that you're going to follow through right away in obedience to the prompting of God's Spirit. You might start by praying for them and asking God, how specifically do you want me to do that? But then also I want to encourage you to take that next step of reaching out to them in gentleness and humility for the glory of God.
Finally, what I've been talking about today assumes that you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's your Savior, that you've trusted him and asked him to come into your life and forgive you. But just perhaps you're here today or you're listening online and you have not yet taken that initial step of faith. You haven't prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. I want to remind you, Jesus went to the cross and he died in our place to forgive our sins and to bring us into a relationship with his Father that we could have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. We receive that by faith in prayer when we ask him to forgive us. Listen to how Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 11. I want to close with this verse. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Praise God for that. Amen? Let's pray. Bow with me, please. Now I want to begin with an invitation. If you are ready to receive God's forgiveness and trust Christ as Savior today, I'd invite you just to pray silently in your heart of hearts and say something like this. Say, Father, I want your forgiveness today. I confess I've sinned against you. And I can't earn forgiveness, but I can receive it as a gift. I put my faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection today for the forgiveness of my sin. And I thank you for that forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for the invitation to give you my burden and to receive your rest and forgiveness. Thank you that the burden you give is light, it's not heavy. And God, help us as your children to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.